0: Canuck Central in the Kintec studio. Hour number two. This hour is brought to you by Andrew Sherritt Limited, your plumbing and heating wholesaler, a proud family-owned BC company helping local business since 1892. A lot of uh, discussion around the salary cap sat. So Elliot Friedman's report today, alongside Rory Boylan up at uh, sportsnet.ca right now, suggests that the cap will go up $1 million This next offseason, it will then jump by potentially four million Mm dollars to eighty seven and a half million by the time the twenty twenty four offseason rolls around. That is, of course, the year Elias Pedersen is up for a new deal. And the year after that, it will jump approximately to ninety two million dollars for the salary cap ceiling. That is a very early projection, obviously subject to change, but it does at least give you an idea of where things are for the Canucks to navigate to.
1: Yeah. And as promising as that is for the overall outlook, and we had the discussion with Frank Sierra Valley in the previous segment, make sure to go back and listen if you missed it on the podcast, because just because there is more cap space doesn't mean... You can get more players. It just also means you may have to pay the players you have even more. And I think that's the other side of this too because in two years' time, it leaves Pedersen's contracts up. It's good that you have a bigger cap cushion, but at the same time, if we see some contracts by that time go up significantly, then what is he looking at potentially? Especially if he does put together a massive season this year. I mean, your best bet with him might be to try to sign him this upcoming offseason.
0: As we've seen with a lot of teams, right? Like what, uh, I I think Ottawa is probably the biggest one. With the the Stutzla contract, he did not have that great of a year last year. He finished strong with a lot of power play points. But at the end of the day, they committed over $64 million, nearly $70 million to a third overall pick, Mm -hmm. who showed some promise, but some warts at the same time. So that that's certainly a divergence of what we've seen. Some NHL offices do like usually if you're going to go eight years with a guy coming out of his entry level deal, it's a like surefire. Like this guy's already done it, mm-hmm. you know, you know, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's already really shown. We're that not he's paying, going to be a star us, player. Show us and we'll pay you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, usually like we've seen a lot of bridge contracts, but, You don't see the eight-year deal out of the entry-level contract all that often. Now we're going to see it more. The problem with this report coming out, though, is, well, everybody knows where it's going now. Mm -hmm. So players, agents can negotiate with that in mind as much as NHL teams will negotiate with that in mind. And specifically for the Vancouver Canucks, Irfan Gafar is going to join us later we'll will touch base with him, Canucks Insider, on on where things stand with Bo. But just thinking about how the negotiation would play out, does does this news hurt or help a Bo Horvat negotiation? It, it probably would hurt a Bo Horvat negotiation.
1: I don't think it... Yeah, I mean, it, it doesn't help. And I don't think this means he's going to get more money. You know what I mean? I don't, I don't think this means that all of a sudden Bo Horvat went from expecting $51 million to expecting $55 million. Like... And I'm just throwing numbers out there. Right? Yeah. If I don't think that's what's going to happen. But what might happen is he looks at it and says, they're asking me to take less. Mm-hmm. And it's taking less than what I want now. But it's also me then realizing in two years' time when the cap goes up, can I live with taking less than what I want today? Because what I take, what I'm getting today is going to pale in comparison to what I could have gotten two years from now. Right. Not to say that he would take a three-year deal and then bet on himself again when he's 30. And hey, maybe that's what he does. Maybe, if anything, the way he could look at it and say, you know what, I'll do two years here or something, three years, and I'll hit free agency 29-30, the cap's going to go up. Even if I'm not the same player, hey, at the very least, someone's going to give me seven times seven then. you know, Maybe that's the way he views it, potentially. So so you can, you can find an argument either way to say it hurts or helps or hurts. But one thing it does undeniably do is make a player think and understand that whatever they're leaving on the table today, whether it hurts more later or not, you have to be able to live with that. And and I think that's a question
0: he's going to have to ask himself. So this is um, why I think it makes it it, it it hurts the Canucks in a way. Maybe not a lot, but it's going like if they were hoping to get Bo under seven million dollars to sign long-term at a number under $7 million on the AAV. It just got that much harder. When Bo signed his last contract, which is on the verge of expiring, it was 2017, he signed $33 million for six years, right? $5.5 mm-hmm. million dollar on the AAV. At that time, that was 7.3% yeah. of the salary cap. If he were to sign six and a half as a long-term extension with the Canucks, that would be 7% of the salary cap by the time it goes up to $92 Mm -hmm. So Bo's saying, well, like you still think I'm essentially the same player? Like I'm not worth a bigger percentage of the salary cap today than when I signed that previous contract? Maybe Bo isn't saying that but I imagine that's part of how his agent would negotiate it.
1: Well, for sure I'm 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 sure that's part of the equation and you know and Bo Horvat's human I'm sure he's not happy with how things are going. I'm sure he would have loved to have the contract done already and Whether he feels disrespected or not, I don't know. But, you know, obviously not happy, it's not done. You you want to have it done by this point. And going back to what I mentioned with Frank, I think ultimately, and this is true for every player, how badly do you want to be somewhere? But I really think so far, that's been kind of the Canucks push here. It's like, how badly do you really want to be here? Do you want to be here bad enough? Do you take this much, you know, this contract to stay and be be a Vancouver Canuck? Because if he does, then hey, he can sign a team friendly contract maybe and it ages really well. And what I mean by can a player live with it? And hey, for most people listening, you're like, can I live with 35 million or 40 million versus 50? Of course I can. But this is a different world they live in. And players will think about this. I mean, even guys that sign big uh, contracts will say it's like, you know what, like, I kick myself every once in a while for leaving this much money on the table. It's like, you just banked $60 What do you mean? He's like, I could have made $100 Yeah. Yeah. Whatever it is, like, these things go through players' minds. So, today, when you know the cap is going up, what you're asking Bo Bo Horvath to leave on the table is going to look even
0: more to him,
1: potentially, today than it did yesterday.
0: As the cap goes up, and uh, at the end of the 2026 season, that's when the uh, Canadian broadcast deal is up, so... You know, that could be more revenue coming into the National Hockey League at that point in what is, you know, likely to be more of a multi-platform deal, mm-hmm. um, that, that has a lot of different layers to it in the world that we're moving to, where, you know, cable isn't the sole resource for you to consume National Hockey League games. As 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 far as a Canucks perspective goes on the salary cap. So, when it takes that first jump to $87.5 million, that's projected for the 2024 offseason. They have currently just under $48 million committed to the 2024 roster.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Thatcher Demko, Tucker Pullman, Oliver Ekman Larson, Quinn Hughes, Curtis Lazar, Ilya Mikheyev. Connor Garland, J.T. Miller, and Brock Besser. $48 million is going to those players. So obviously, Elias Pettersson and Bo Horvat are not a part of that projection. Uh, Vasily Podkolzin, Nils Hoglander, like all these young players, Andre Kuzmenko, who knows what he could get if he has a good season here with the, National, with the, with the Canucks. All of those players are not kind of, um, well, they're not factored in. And and this is part of, you know, the discussion about the long-term health of the team. Like, is this a big enough cap jump for them to say it's worth committing $15 million to both J.T. Miller and Bo Horvat going into their 30s?
1: I I think that question really depends on what Pedersen's number is ultimately. Yeah. You know, and that's why it does come down to Pedersen because the $48 roughly that they're committing to the players you mentioned coming up in 2024, 2025... I'm fine with that collection of players. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like those are fine contracts. You know, even when we talk about McCabe and Garland, and we'll see how those guys play and all that sort of stuff. But I'm okay with those commitments, and They're there is enough flexi- players, and there is enough flexibility coming off of that. Yeah. So it all comes down to what are you paying Petterson that you think, and if that number is ten million, okay. If it's twelve, then it, it's different. And, and I know people are listening. Going, how, what are you talking about? How can Petterson even get ten or twelve million? I mean, the guy hasn't even hit seventy points yet. It all depends on how he plays this year, but understanding, you know, the theme of the conversation, the player's contracts are skyrocketing and guys that have done what he's done at that age that come up, that's kind of what they're looking for and what they're going to be getting, especially if he he has a big year this year and then another big year afterwards. If he gets like 90 plus points, I mean, it's good night. We're talking about a massive contract yeah. that you're staring staring at. So that I think comes part of the equation. So I'm not sure the cap increase. I think the teams already knew the cap's going up, even if they know the firm numbers. You know what I mean? Like I think they had a good sense of it. I think the Canucks believe there's a way they can make all this work, as long as Bo comes in at that number, which which they kind of feel like he can come into. And to your point, and to the point of looking at the cap a couple of years down the road. I know it's two years down the road, but there is flexibility coming. Like there, there is, even once you get through this year and if you can maybe make a move or two next season, there is flexibility on the horizon.
0: So does the salary cap increase essentially tell us where the Canucks' biggest competitive window is? And it's the last two years of Thatcher Demko's current contract? That's pretty much it. That, those are your prime years to try to win. So it's like as much as they still want to be a playoff team and be competitive right now, This front office's mindset is we need to go in the 2024 offseason. That's where we are looking at maximizing our potential to build a Stanley Cup contender. Yeah.
1: And it's not just to go all in on 20, you know, those two years and then that's it. It's about, taking advantage of those two years and try to extend that window a few years, you know? Yeah. And whether it's you, you extend Demco, whether it is you have another goalie coming up through your system that can take over that role or whatever, whatever it is, you got to figure that out in a couple of years. I mean, when you get to that point, but that's really go time. But, but you can't just decide to go and win a Stanley Cup in two years. You still have to like incrementally get there. You have yes. to make the playoffs. You have to get that experience. You have to, you have to build some progress, you know? And if you get the, into the playoffs this year and then next year you take a step, And that's like your your fringe contender. I think next year, Dan, even if you're not like an actual Stanley Cup contender, I think the conversation has to be not you're not you're we're not talking about will this team make the playoffs. We're going to talk about will they show they can be a contender. And if that's the conversation we're having next season, even if they don't end up being a contender, that means you're on the verge. And if they can do that through this year and next year then you set yourself up to be a true contender those two years. And I understand, you know, based on the failures, failures of this core and all the promises of the front office and moves that have been made, they're never going to turn this thing around and make this team into a complete contender this season. As long as you have a coherent plan to get there in two to three years, there's a real pathway to do that. And with the cap going up, it helps a little bit, but ultimately, you just got to get these guys signed numbers that make sense for your team. It,
0: ultimately, uh, the... the no- That is the biggest thing. The biggest question mark on the books looking far that far down the line is Oliver Reckman Larson. That's not going to change. Everybody knows that. OEL played well last year. Can he play better next to Quinn Hughes? That's what the club is looking to find out and maximize more of that contract that he's currently on and see how long he can play well on that huge number that he has. These are huge parts of this team building the Stanley Cup contender we talk about. But, uh, like, it, it always comes back to, and my skepticism always comes back to, and I thought about this with the Miller deal, and I'll think about this if they do get Bo Horvat done. I'll think about this when they sign the Pedersen contract. You know, will, will they have enough? Or how are they identifying players to support this core that they've identified, Mm -hmm. that they've essentially inherited? Because, one, I have questions if the core is good enough because it hasn't shown to be yet. Two, the previous regime had a really hard time identifying those players, whether in trade or on the free agent market. They did not identify players that you pay sort of in the middle of your roster that end up maximizing what you have
1: mm-hmm.
0: and they have to be better at identifying players in the draft. I think that's a pretty obvious statement yeah. as well. Those are, I think ultimately if they, if they commit to Horvat and Petterson as we expect them to, that's. Ultimately, what this is going to come down to is where do they find those bargains to put around those guys? And that's what makes it so hard to imagine them building a team quite as good as the Colorado Avalanche or some of these other squads around the league. Just because it's
1: hard to imagine doesn't mean it's impossible. No, not only that, it just, and I'm not trying to say you lack imagination, but when I, when I,
0: but I do think... Some people do say so, that. My, my grade four math teacher said that as well. Uh,
1: but I do think... And sometimes I get caught up in this as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, at least your your grade, uh, grade eight uh, English teacher, teacher didn't tell you just sit there and look pretty, which <laughs> happened to me in grade eight. But I mean, that's a different conversation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but regardless...
0: Well, at least you got the pretty part, yeah. <laughs> I my
1: mean, The idiot I was. Like, oh, she gave me a compliment. I was like, no, you <laughs> idiot. She called you a moron. But anyways... Uh, uh, like. The thought of, oh, this team is committing to this these guys, they can't get better now.
0: Well,
1: you're lacking an imagination of there is a way it can get better. Now, you can also be uh, frivolously imaginative and it's not leading anywhere because you're just being completely unrealistic about it. But it's not like things don't change. It's not like player valuations don't change. It's not like opportunities don't come along. And if you are trying to find edges in different ways as a front office and as an organization, you're investing heavily in player development, you're investing heavily in player scouting, you're investing heavily in your front office and how you think and how you collaborate and and, and how you come together and put a plan together. Well, there are avenues where you can incrementally find different ways to maybe get get something of value one way or another because you have an edge, institutional edge, that you can find a way to maybe pick a player off somewhere and he turns out to be a star. But also... Things change so fast, man. Mm-hmm. Like in six months' time, in a year's time, eighteen months from now, who knows which player's value is going to jump up in a big way or go down in a certain way? But what I'm trying to say is, you have enough guys. You have some young guys here that there is potential for opportunities to arise with time and being patient. And just because it's hard to imagine today doesn't mean tomorrow that's going to be the same way. And even me looking through things and trying to think of okay, what what are other ways you can make this better? Going back to what, you, what we just mentioned if you do take a step this year and you are a little bit patient, you look at the cap outlook, you look at how the Canucks' money's coming off the books in a year or two, it's a longer-term thing to think through, but you do see opportunities and potential arise. And if the Canucks hit on a couple of their players, what happens if is if a good player and put Colton really becomes a high-end guy? Then who becomes expendable in a certain way? Who can you maybe sacrifice to get something else that's not one of your core guys you signed? That can happen, and I, and, I don't, and I don't think it's
0: unrealistic either. You have to be able to find players from unexpected places. Of course, Pod Colson in the first round, you're, you're sort of penciling him in to be a big part of this roster for a lot of years. Hoaglander looks like a solid second-round pick. But I even think about Tampa Bay, who trades first-round picks as much as the L.A. Rams do. And guess what both of those teams have in common? They've won championships recently. You know, first-round picks aren't the be-all and end-all, but you still have to be able to find talent in the draft. The Tampa Bay Lightning have done that. Like, I was looking today. They don't have too many players that they have themselves have drafted in the first round on their team. Mm-hmm. It's like Cal Foot and Andre Vasilevsky. Those are the two guys they've drafted in the first round that are on their main roster. Of course, they have players from other teams that were drafted in the first round that ended up on their team, but the ones that they drafted and developed, just two. Now, that obviously excludes um, Braden Point, Anthony Cirelli. It, it excludes a number of players on their roster that mm-hmm. they've drafted and truly developed. And uh, ultimately what will make or break this front office is the development staff that they're putting in place. Yeah, Because, Seth, there's a good core here. Like, okay, we can quibble over how valuable Bo Horvat is and whether or not they should have, you know, given the money to JT Miller long-term. They're still really good hockey players, but this team has just failed in actually developing talent out of the draft, out of undrafted free agency, out of college free agency, finding guys in Europe. They haven't done that. And that's I think that's ultimately what makes or breaks this front office is their ability to find one or two guys out of nowhere that really take this team to another level.
1: Well, what they really need is, and we talked about another impact forward, and hey, maybe that's put Coles in. You know, mm-hmm. and we'll see how Kuzmenko may or may not stay too in. much
0: to expect that out of
1: Potkholzin this, this year. I don't this, want to get know, into that but again. It's, it's, okay? over about, it's, it's more about, again, he's yeah. got to become that in a couple of years when you're really ready to win. Take a step this year, get closer to it. But is he that guy? Is there somebody else? If it is, well, that answers a big, big question, right? If it's not, then you still have to go out and search, and then somebody else comes into the equation. Ultimately, it's the acquisition of one more defenseman. Now, really, too, if you're talking about long-term, yeah. but... If you can develop one guy, if you can put everything together and, and create one player, one top four defenseman, even if, it's a, even if it's a number four, man, that's huge. Okay, create one. That's that's on your plate, development, staff, all this sort of stuff. Create one. Then you got to acquire one. It's not, we're not talking about you have to go out and acquire, you know, seven or eight, nine different players. Yeah, there's depth guys you need. Yeah, there's certain things they have to build out and and they have to, you know, make better as time goes on. But as far as impact guys go in core positions, it's one more big impact forward and two defensemen. That's really what it is. You know, when we're not talking about, they don't have a franchise center. They don't have guys down the middle. They don't have these wingers. They don't have a franchise defenseman. They have those things. And that's why I say as much as yes, it's going to be harder for them to fill those things out. If they commit to Bo Horvat and they have the cap situation, the way it is, but you don't need that crazy of an imagination to
0: find two players in
1: your back end over the next two years.
0: Um, I'm getting ripped on the text inbox. The point I was uh, making about Tampa, I forgot to say in the last 10 years. But Yes. <laughs> the last 10 years. I mean, because, yeah. yes, Stamkos and Hedman are definitely first round.
1: Now, you know, the point is, um, and I have made this point before too, Chicago and Tampa, they've also missed some high draft picks. Yes. Jack Skilly. Yeah. Cam Barker. Yep, You look at, you know, Slater Kuku was a top pick. Tony D'Angelo didn't work out for them. them. Um, There's somebody else I'm missing. Oh, Brett Connolly, top 10 pick didn't work out for Tampa. Mm -hmm. Didn't hit the potential they had hoped for. So every team's going to kind of miss on some high picks. But what you have to do is crush some of those second round draft picks. Some of those late round picks have to come through. And what do those two franchises have in common, Chicago and Tampa, building dynasties? They crush the middle of those drafts and outside the first round.
0: But think about it, uh, even though Stamkos and Hedman, yes, they were drafted at the top of the draft by Tampa, both more than 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Took them a long time to build the team that ended up winning the Stanley Cup. A
1: lot of failures. I mean, that's a team that made a cup run almost, got to the conference final, then had to kind of retool and Marty St. Louis leaves, and then they get back up to it again. I mean, they've gone through a few ups
0: and downs to get to this point. Uh, So thank you for pointing out my uh, clear error but it did mean to say the last 10 years. Coming up, uh, Irfan Gaffar is going to join us. His take on uh, the salary cap going up and uh, the rash of Canucks injuries that they have struggled with. We'll get into the preseason with Irfan Gaffar, Canucks insider. Canucks preseason coverage on Sportsnet 650 is brought to you by Black and Lee. Suiting up has never been easier with suits and tuxedos in a modern, wide range of colors, styles, and fits. Blackandlee.com. Canuck Central continues on Sportsnet 650. Canuck Central coming to you from the Kintec studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 1,500 five star, five star, five star, five star, five star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at kintech.net. Uh, Irfan Ghaffar, Canuck Central, is uh, our fourth period covering the Canucks, is going to join us here in a moment. Did you see the uh, Russell Wilson commercial, the Subway commercial? Yeah, and I can't unsee it. The danger witch. <laughs> danger change. danger. Russell Wilson called his Subway sandwich the danger witch.
1: Yeah, I think PF commentator nailed it on mm-hmm. Twitter, mm-hmm. saying that video is like he's he's <laughs> a serial killer talking to his victim who's tied in a chair with his mouth taped over. Over that's kind of what it was like. You want know to taste like I'm like when, yeah. when I when I saw that tweet and we we'll rewatched the video, I could not un unsee it in that in that way.
0: I don't think there's a more awkward commercial I've ever seen in my life. So for those who haven't seen it, please find it, watch it. But Russ is eating a Subway sandwich and talking to the camera as if the camera is a person, right? And Mm -hmm. it's really awkward. Yes. I I wonder if companies are teaming up with Russ knowing that his corn level is going to make every commercial, every bit that he does, go viral. Yeah, and that's all that matters. It that's goes it. viral. That's yeah. it. Because like this subway commercial is getting way more play than I've ever seen. Like than than most
1: commercials would get. Maybe we're we're all the fools then. Yeah. Maybe Russ just knows the brand and just leans into it.
0: <laughs> he's making
1: money off of it. I mean, who are we to say?
0: <laughs> he's figured it out. Uh, let's bring in our next guest, uh, Russell Wilson's number one fan, It's Irfan Gafar. What's happening? What's going on? How do you like the commercial?
2: Oh uh, <laughs> I didn't like it when he was a Seahawk. I was I think I was the leader of this.
0: That's a lie. You loved it when he was a Seahawk.
2: No, I I I loved it look, a great quarterback. Beyond that, I don't think so. Uh,
0: all but right.
2: Beyond that beyond that, what else is there?
0: Yeah. I I I uh before we get into the hockey stuff, like is Russ just bad now? Like is he just is he the same Russ I we mean, saw at the end of his Seattle career, and that's just, like, he who he is as a quarterback now?
2: I don't know. He didn't play in the preseason, new offense, I get that. But, yeah, like, that football game was bad. <laughs> and he, he hasn't been good, really, at all. And, I mean, his weapons, if you really, really think about it, in Seattle with Metcalf and Lockett, might be better than you know Judy and whoever else they have Oh yeah 100% so, right right so i mean in that theory you got a you got a basically a tight end as a wide receiver in Mecca that can go get the ball anywhere like no one's really doing that for the Broncos but i mean yeah it's a little bit of both i think um i don't wish him any success <laughs> and i hope that uh these cringy videos stop once and for all
0: the bad thing is that uh, the Broncos are somehow two and one despite mm-hmm. playing terribly. Uh, so that draft pick may not be uh, as, as good as we may have hoped for uh, Seattle. Uh, all right. Forget that's about
2: a, the Broncos. Why did the Raiders stink so bad? Yeah.
0: I don't know. There's a lot of teams, uh, but like 90% of the league is either two and one or one and two. So, so much is still, still to be decided. Yeah. But if you're three, and 0 you're not making the play. Oh, and three, you're not making the play. Yeah. You're probably not. No, absolutely not. Yeah. Uh, all right. So how worried should we be about all these Canucks injuries already?
2: Well, I mean, it's kind of joking, but, you know, he's saying that it's not a Canucks training camp until someone gets hurt. Yeah. Right? And, and it, unfortunately, three out of the last four years, it's been Brock Besser. Yeah. So, you know, for him, I, I think that, you know, I think it's a similar injury that he's had in the past, um, where it's taken him a couple of weeks to kind of get back to, you know, being, I know that Bruce uh, Bruce Boudreau said that he was going to skate with the team uh, soon or join or, or at least skate. So that's a good thing. You can at least have your conditioning up, but, it's shooting. It's being able to hold the stick. It's doing all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, that's going to take a little bit of time for Brock. I mean, have week to week. That's a little concerning because in the beginning, you didn't really know what it was. So yeah. you hope it's nothing too serious. Obviously Myers was sick. And then um, I'm missing someone. Oh, Travis Dermott, obviously going down the tunnel, feeling a little woozy. So whenever you hear a coach say woozy or anything like that, that's also concerning because as we all know, yeah. you never really know if, if it does so happen to be a head injury. So I mean, it's, it's, it's the luck of the Vancouver Canucks, right? I mean, you, you look at it and you almost have to look at it and you hope these guys are well, but you kind of just have to laugh and shake your head a little bit because you say, well, what else could, could could really go wrong as you know, they enter this season? Mm-hmm. But um, I think one of the biggest things for them is now you know the next man up mentality and, and who's going to fill what spots on, on the team and then move up the lineup and things like that. So competition's a good thing, especially for this group this early.
1: Yeah, well, I mean... You have a couple of weeks before the regular season begins. Maybe, yeah. maybe you get guys a little bit closer and it's not missing that much time, but you worry about the ramp up a little bit. But, you know, on the Besser front, I mean, it's you know, surgery is always concerning, but when you look at the timeline and you kind of dig into it a little bit, it doesn't seem like it was the biggest surgery.
2: No, absolutely not. And look, I think that, you know, the three or four weeks and the four weeks is probably on the long end of it. I mm-hmm. can see him maybe coming back or, or being ready to ready to go or, or try and, you know, make a push to getting back into game time in two to two and a half weeks. You know, I, I think that this is an injury that, you know, he, he's had before. You know exactly what it's going to take to kind of get back into it and, and and things like that. So, you know, the, the concern is, yes, if it takes a little bit longer, I think the Canucks are just saying that. But the hope is for him to be back a little bit sooner.
0: It It is um... – like I, I don't know if it's crazy to say this, but like, it's it's hard to replace goals in this league, right? And we know yeah. Brock is going to score in and around thirty uh, if he plays a full complement of games. But it does feel like this roster is more equipped to at least paper over a short absence for Brock Besser than it would be for Ilya Makayev
2: Yeah, I think so. I mean, when you've got the offensive firepower that you know, the Canucks may have, right? I think Mikheyev will, will Mikheyev will, will play, you know, uh, PK, he'll play a little bit of power play, obviously, and, and things like that. But it's what he's going to do in his own end, and it's all that kind of stuff that, you know, is going to take away from, from the offensive output, right? You know, you have guys like Kuzmenko. You've got Paul Colson, who's looking ridiculously good in training camp right now. So the offense will be okay to kind of, you know, you can kind of mask that and blanket a little bit with other guys. But it's the other stuff. It's who's going to step up now and have to play those PK minutes and, and, and things of that nature uh, when it comes to when the regular season goes.
0: Yeah,
1: and I mean, what it does do, do too is create an opportunity for somebody else to make the team. And I know Dan is super excited about Phil DiGizepa, uh making the team probably. But if both these guys... It's got to be on the on team. Why. If Mikhail, yeah, but if Mikheyev and, and Besser are not ready to go on day one, DiGioseppe's probably going to be on this team.
2: Yeah, I mean, well, we know Besser's probably not ready to go. Yeah. One, I mean, just by, mm-hmm. I, I don't think that he will be. But the Mikhail one, uh, you you hope he's ready to go. But yeah, you're right. I mean, it's it's next man up. It's, if If said can make this team, you know, it, it's it's a good thing for for the Canucks. I mean, Kuzmenko being there, obviously, Paul and Horvat, Lazar. That one, that that line might stay together. I think you might see some that line stay together for a little bit. Um, the Pearson Miller Garland one today interests me, and then obviously. Um wherever happens with with Elias Pedersen and, and, and who he gets to play with is going to be it, it's going to be an interesting one as well but um I don't think that Bruce Joe expected to have his lines this much in a blender this early into training camp so the one good thing is they've got games coming up and you can tinker with things you know left right and center which you're going to have to do but Um, It's interesting because we all, you know, on day one of training camp, we're like, okay, these lines are going to stay together. This is going to be exactly what it is. And then, boom, here you have three or four guys out for at least a couple of weeks, and now it's time for for the coach to mix things up a little bit.
0: It it is interesting how um, Boudreau, Alvin, even Rutherford, when we spoke to him last week, they're all excited about Kuzmenko, but even they have really no idea what to expect when the season starts with him.
2: Well, I think that that's the biggest thing, right? It's, it's, it's he's the wild card, but he was very highly touted coming out of the KHL and the Canucks did everything they could to try and, you know, make him a Vancouver Canucks, and then they succeeded. And now it's about him, you know, getting comfortable in this city, which he seems to be being here and, and then spending some time in the summer here and doing all the Vancouver type of things. And now it's, you know, being with his teammates, skating with his teammates before training camp started and now being around them a lot, doing the dinners, going all the, all, doing all that sort of stuff. Um, this five-game road trip to start the season is probably one of the best things that's going to happen to the Canucks, right? Obviously, you know, with, with the stuff not being ready at, at Rogers Arena and, and, and things of that nature and being on the road, I, I think that it's a good thing for this team, especially when you have adversity this early in your season, right? You, you want the guys to be close together. You want, you know, team bonding and, and, and all that kind of stuff. And, and I think that for, for new players, especially ones not from North America and don't know the NHL, NHL game at all, it, it, it's hugely important.
1: No, it is. And, you know, honestly, like, I, I think this is... Why you have depth as well? As much as you want to have the team healthy the whole time, that's not going to happen. You're not going to have your optimal lineup every single night. So the reality is, you're going to have to play with guys being out. And the fact they added Kuzmenko, they added Mikheyev, they added Curtis Lazar, and even Dakota Joshua. I mean, right off the bat, Earth, we're going to get a sense of what is this team's depth like. Is it going to be good enough to hold up? You know, and, and I think getting a sense of that right out right away early in the season isn't the worst thing.
2: No, absolutely not. And I think that you know, as much as these guys are going to say that they, you know, they're going to miss these guys and, and things of that nature. When you look at it it, it, it is a good test. It's a really, really good test to see what this team's depth about, like you just mentioned that, but, but also to see if they have more. Are there more players that are, that are down the lineup that are going to push for roster spots? How much hunger does this make more guys, you know, that, that know that there are roster spots that are available to go out there and, and try and earn them? And I think that when you have a training camp and have it, be as competitive as you know they're having it right now i i think it's only a positive
0: so um we are getting the sense that like bruce boudreau is giving jack rathbone the keys to the seven kingdoms here and he's just like um hey kid show us what you got like 25 minutes i i would expect him to play almost 20 minutes in every preseason game that he that he has coming up into the regular
2: season why not right why not Prove to yourself, prove to your coaches, earn your coaches' trust. I, I think that's a big thing. If Bruce is letting him play and letting him run wild and, and do things like and do things like play 25 minutes a night, he obviously see something in him, right? Your 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 coach obviously trusts you. Yes, it's preseason, and you know you're not playing against the team's top top players, you know, every single shift. But you know, over 20 minutes is a lot of ice time for a young kid, so it's a test. And you know, Jack Rathbone is a guy that you know wants to prove his worth. He wants to prove like he belongs in the NHL and. Like you just mentioned, Andy, he's getting every opportunity to do it. So we'll see what happens in a couple of weeks. Obviously, with the Dermot injury and or what happens there in the next couple of days, we'll, we'll definitely see what goes on. But you know, it, it's a good opportunity for Jack Rathbone, and and it's nice to see nice to see him grab it and you know take the keys and run with it. Well,
1: you know, when I when I look at the team too, and you look at you know how badly they wanted the contract situations to be done before the season began for a number of reasons. What, what do you think that does to the Horvath situation here with, you know, training camp being over with the season being two weeks away? Do you get the sense that there will be a real push here in a couple of weeks to try to get something done here with Bo as much as right now it doesn't look like it, but they'll do the same thing they did with JT pretty much where they'll circle back in a couple of weeks and they'll make, maybe they'll present their best case.
2: Yeah. I mean, look, uh, like we said before, all it takes is one phone call, right? And, and we know that Pat Morris and his camp, you know, they drive a pretty hard bargain, right? So... I think that you know it's unfortunate for the Horvat camp because I, I think they're I think they're a little pissed, and I think that they should be right. And you know, he's your captain, and this, that, and the other, and you know, you want him to be signed, and he wants to be signed. He he wants to stay here. You know, there's no doubt in my mind that 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 that's not that what Bo Horvat wants, but what does he deserve? And you know, we you and I Seth, have talked about it obviously um, offline a little bit, and and to to go to the open market and to see what Bo Horvat would get. Um, I don't know if Bo's going to want to take a "quote unquote" hometown discount anymore after seeing what the what the Canucks did to start. Right? They 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 get JT Miller done, and then they say, "Okay, well we think Bo's going to take a discount." Nah, I don't think it's going to work like that anymore.
0: Well, even with the news um, that Elliot Friedman dropped today about where the salary cap is headed. You know, I think that does hurt the Canucks in any sort of negotiating stance because yeah. if you're trying to keep Bo under seven million on the AAV, let's say, I mean, that's that's a tough sell. That's essentially you know seven percent of the cap in a couple of years from now, and that's essentially what his last contract was. You're saying I'm not I'm not more valuable today than I was when you first signed me. I mean, I I, I do think this is a really delicate. Situation with with where things are headed, knowing yeah. that the salary cap is going up, and it hurts the Canucks' bargaining comp- position in my eyes.
2: Yeah, and I think once this season starts, it's going to quiet right down. And I think that, you know, if nothing's done by then, then we're going to see it quiet right down, and the focus will be the regular season and, and and things like that. But yeah, like you mentioned, definitely very delicate. I mean, look, they still have to pay at least. yes, they, the cap is going to go up, but. There's a lot of players that are gonna. There's a couple guys on that team that are gonna need a lot of money here coming, um, moving forward. And and Bo's one of them. And I, I don't think that Bo's number is gonna start with anything less than a seven. To be mm-hmm. completely honest. Yeah. yeah. I, I I just don't think that I just don't think that's gonna happen. And especially with the news coming down today.
1: Yeah. No. I know. I mean, it, it's it's one of those things, right? Because when you know the cap is gonna be going up to that degree too, it it becomes a situation of how much more money am I going to leave on the table in two years? And I'm going to take even less for that. And I think that does put a lot of pressure on it. And now, as far as potential trades being done, I know the team is probably not close to anything, but I, I, you know, I'm not saying they're more active than they're leading on or whatever, but it wouldn't surprise me at all, whether it's a minor move or something that they do something around the roster between now and the start of the season, especially when cut down day comes down for the rosters.
2: Yeah, man. Especially with injuries. Yeah. Right. Let's see what's going to see what's to say that you know, KF is not out a little bit longer than expected. We know when Besser's going to come back, but you don't know what's going to what's going to be up with Dermot. Obviously, you hope for the best. And then, you know, Myers was sick, but um, yeah, I think that they still want to they still want to improve the defense. We, we said it for so long, and there could be something that that happens there. And and you know, cut down Dave will 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 be coming up pretty pretty shortly here. But um, I wouldn't be surprised if the Canucks made a move. Um, it's just at what position? And then we all know in the, in the worst kept secret that a defenseman is, is what they want. But, yeah, as you mentioned before, if a guy like Jack Rathbone can prove that, you know, he he deserves to be in this NHL lineup every single day, then they might hold back a little bit. But it wouldn't, again, it, it definitely wouldn't surprise me if they, if they did try and make a move.
0: So uh, when are you off to Prague for the Global Series?
2: Oh, man, for allegedly Sunday.
0: <laughs> allegedly?
2: You don't know yet? Allegedly, okay. allegedly Sunday. That should allegedly be fun. Sunday. Yeah, I hear, I'm I'm hear
0: Prague forward. is I'm nice.
2: Look, well, I'm looking forward to it. I also, the reports of the Russian players not being allowed to go and Mike Greer saying right. we're not going. It's just all up in the air right now. But we'll see. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm excited. It should be fun. A week in Prague. You get to watch the uh, the Sharks and the Preds go at it.
0: It uh, should be pretty good. Always appreciate it, man. Thanks.
2: All right, guys. You all? Uh,
0: there is uh, there is Irfan Gafar. Yeah.
1: Her. Um, I mean, I think the trade stuff, teams are always looking, mm-hmm. you know, to be, to be trying to do different things or whatever. And it's very evident because the team has expressed this numerous times. you heard it from Alvini, you've heard it from Rutherford, that they wanted to do more this offseason than they did. And when certain pressures come up, certain opportunities do arise. And it could just be something small even that they're looking at or whatever. It could be a minor move. But I, I can see them exploring some things here over the next couple of weeks, especially with some of these injuries. I think that plays a small part into it. More than anything, you probably feel that you have enough depth to overcome this for two or three weeks. But it's more about what opportunities could arise here that maybe we can do something with. Because I heard that they're, and we can talk more about this as the week goes on – that there are teams out there that might be, and I think you heard Frank mention it too, might be a bit more ambitious than they let on. You saw Ottawa, for instance, that they're still looking to do some things. Other teams too, you know, the Chicago Blackhawks and their situation. But yeah. There are some some things going on around
0: the league still that is pretty active. And you wonder what opportunities that might create. Um, it's always kind of an interesting time as we get closer to opening night of the season. You know, waivers and... Um, There's a little bit more activity as managers, maybe try to to move a player that they think may get claimed off of waivers. Also, a guy like Jacob Chikrin is still out there and available. We have some pretty big contracts like Nick Robertson, uh, much smaller contracts like Rasmus Sandin and Nick Haig that have to get done. I believe Elliot Friedman the other day on 32 Thoughts mentioned that uh, Vegas might be up to something with the Nick Hag situation that they have on their hands. So certainly some things to uh, keep an eye on. And as we've talked about, the Canucks have 45 contracts committed right now. Yeah. So I couple do expect spots. they, uh, they do a, add a couple of contracts at some point
1: here. Yeah. Now two things to keep in mind. I think they also want to have some flexibility, for trades as the season goes on, acquisitions course, yes. something happens, and also you having, don't want to
0: go all the way up to fifty
1: no, 100%. and you also want to have a couple open when you get into the college free agent signing season
0: yeah, that's the
1: other thing to keep in mind, especially into the new year and they did not have as much success uh, looking for the, to uh, in the college free agent pool this past year, but with the groundwork they laid, the relationships they're trying to build, they could be more successful potentially this upcoming year but and the other thing to keep in mind, Dan, is if Tristan Nielsen gets a contract, that's another internal contract. So uh, looking at it, that's why I mentioned trade. As much as they have some contract spots open, I think they'd really like to make a swap one way or another. Maybe it's something minor, but I think they'd like to maybe swap a contract out and for something else, potentially.
0: Right. Ah, I wonder what contract that would be. Um, there's, there's definitely something uh, that, uh, hey, the Canucks are always looking to upgrade as every... Uh, Every team is right now. It's uh, Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah here on Canucks Central. Uh, Canucks have the Seattle Kraken on Thursday. Tomorrow, we'll have Kevin Woodley, our guest, which should be interesting because we've talked about the Canucks' goaltending situation and, as an organization, how they've set up their goaltending situation. That is at least it looks as if it is an organizational advantage. The Demco contract should be an organizational advantage, especially when you see the contract that uh, Spencer Knight was given today for four and a half million bucks. So uh, really curious to hear from uh, Kevin Woodley tomorrow, our Wednesday regular here on the show, the goalie guru on Canuck Central. Some other things that... um, I wanted to quickly touch on that. It's not hockey related, but uh, the world cup is coming up in just over a month. (laughs) Yeah. And I know you're usually the one that goes on uh, these types of rants, but Canada lost two nil today Uh uh, to Uruguay. Uh, Their penultimate tune up before the world cup begins in November. They have Japan, in Dubai, just before the tournament begins, I believe, November 20th. So Canada loses 2-0 to Uruguay. And, and everybody, and I get it, you want to be positive, but everybody's like, man, Canada really like, they, 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 they went after Uruguay, they, they, they got some chances on net and, and they really took the play to them in the second half. It's like, have you ever heard of score effects? <laughs> They were down 2-0 and Uruguay is just like (laughs) sitting back comfortable as all hell to just watch Canada try and score a goal. It was a very comfortable game for Uruguay, at least the way I saw it. The possession stats didn't matter to me whatsoever. Canada was losing 2-0 and could barely break through Uruguay's defense. And here I am just sitting there and everybody's like, yeah, cheer, go team. Look at us. Like, how do, you, do you want to actually do something at the World Cup, or you just want to be like waving your red and white flag and be like, "Look at us, we lost seven nothing to Belgium." How many shot attempts did they get on goal? Only oh, a couple. I, the 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 keeper, I think he he made one big stop. Actually, two two fairly decent saves. Two fairly to make.
1: two saves. Okay. Yeah. So they created two really. They good weren't chances.
0: like. Hugely clear-cut chance. So you're though. saying
1: the bar is too low for Canada heading into the World yes. Cup.
0: You're, you're not just happy to be there. I'm not. I'm not just happy to be there. So are you going to be disappointed and call it a failure if they don't get out no. of the group? But also, like if Canada plays the way they did today against Belgium. Oh, Belgium! Old. Kevin De Bruyne is going to eat us alive. <laughs> Luka Modric is going to pick apart every little bit of open space that he is able to find, and Croatia is going to have their way with us. Canada was so open at the back, they could be, they were being sliced through like a hot knife through butter. And once Uruguay, like, stopped really attacking and just stuck to being on the counter, Canada was more comfortable then, but way too easy to break open Canada. That was. I don't know. To me, it was a scary game, and everybody's like, yeah, go team. But they finally faced that real quality. As much as, you know, Mexico and the
1: U.S., have been, they're not.
0: It's not the greatest Mexico side right
1: it's now. It's not. And even the U.S., they've been through some ups and downs, you know, with this squad, even though they have some talent. So, i, I you just haven't hope, faced these European, South American powerhouses yet, and that's yeah. going to be tough. I mean, Canada's not going to be at that level yet.
0: Here's what we're not going to do on Canuck Central this year. Moral victories. Okay. okay. No moral victories here on Canucks Central. No moral victories for the Canadian men's national team, and there won't be any for the Canucks, at least not here on this show. It's Dan Richo, Satyar Shaw. You've been listening to Canucks Central for producer Josh Elliott-Wolf and my co-host Satyar Shah. I'm Dan Richo. You've been listening on Sportsnet 650.